Over the past three months, uh, we've been talking and looking biblically about what is a healthy church. And, you know, that's kind of a catchphrase today. We look around and everybody's doing these series, what's relevant, what's healthy, and, and on and on. And, and, and I don't mind looking at these topics, but when we do it, I, I hope that we've done it in a way that's pleasing to God, in a way that's biblical. We've spent time over these past few months considering healthy churches Obviously, they begin with the right foundation, for no other foundation can man lay than that which is laid, the man, Christ Jesus. And so, we understand that healthy churches, if we're, if we're going to be healthy individually, if we're going to be healthy corporately, we must have the right foundation. And then, we've talked about the fact that healthy churches, you know, actually begin with healthy believers. You know, we are a called out assembly of baptized believers. We're called out as an assembly. And so, it must begin with healthy believers. We talked about healthy churches pray, healthy churches respond to God. Healthy churches are churches who are serving and involved in ministry. We've talked about the fact that healthy churches are filled with healthy families. Listen, if our church is filled up with a number of families and, and there's disarray in the home, guess what? We come out of the parking lot and we bring that disarray into God's house. And as a part of the body, it's no good, no good. And so we must be healthy in our families. We've talked about... The fact that healthy churches are always moving forward. I'm grateful. I'm thankful for our heritage. I'm thankful for what was done back there. But we always must be moving forward to reach out with the love and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about what was very needful and hopefully it was an encouragement to you. No part, pardon the pun. But we talked about that healthy churches actually cultivate a spirit of encouragement. And that we need to encourage and admonish and on and on one another. And then last week, I'm thankful in my absence, uh, Brother Brian spoke on the topic of healthy churches are giving. And, and that goes beyond our pocketbook, by the way. It's not just a matter of, uh, of giving your resources. That's giving our all. And really, the love of Christ should compel each and every one of us. And so I would encourage you, if you've missed any of those messages... You can find them on our podcast, all right? And you can get caught up with Healthy Church. But this morning, I want us to conclude our, our message series by talking about the biblical reality that healthy churches grow. Healthy churches grow. In fact, uh, it, this, is a, this is a reality in, in our world. All living things grow. All living things grow. I, I, I thought about bringing, uh, and I couldn't get it because it's not Christmas time, and I don't know. I didn't go to the drugstore. Maybe they sell them. The, you ever seen the Chia Pets? I mean, all you have to do is add water. You don't have to have a green thumb. You just water that puppy, and all of a sudden, a Chia Pet grows hair. All living things grow. We don't have to make them grow. If they're living organisms, listen, if they're healthy, they're going to be growing. And since the body of Christ, since the church is a living entity, it's a living organism, if it's not growing, if it's not growing, the reality, and even Brother Guy, you alluded to it without really alluding to it, if it's not growing, if it's not healthy, the reality is it's dying. And so we must be mindful that healthy churches grow. In fact, if you have uh, your Bible with you, and I hope you do, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, very quickly, and we'll go back uh, to the thought. But in Revelation chapter 3, we find a, really a sad portrait of what can happen to a church. What can happen to a church when they forget where, 
when we forget where we've come from, when we forget uh, where we're headed, and quite frankly, when we forget what our purpose is, why are we even gathered together? You know, it's the thing, listen, if God doesn't have a purpose for us, if God doesn't want us to encourage one another, and on and on, and we could go down the whole list, then why are we meeting together? Why are we even here? And so this is a sad picture of really what can happen when we forget as churches what we've come from, where we're going, and what we're called to do. Look at uh, chapter 3, and beginning in verse number 1 and following. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write. This is Jesus speaking to John, and he's telling John to communicate this message. He says, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. By the way, the only one worthy is Jesus. That's how they were worthy. They weren't worthy in themselves. They were worthy in Jesus. And so he says, Thou have, in verse 4, Thou hast a few names even in Sardis which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Verse 5, He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out, blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, he that hath an ear, Jesus says, as he concludes, as he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. When we think about living things, we know a few things. They're made up of cells. We know that they need food. We know that they actually do, if they're a living thing, they do, no matter how small or large, they exhibit some form of growth. And we also know that if something is living, get ready, they reproduce. They reproduce. Listen, verse 1. Notice verse 1 of our passage. Verse 1 tells the church at Sardis that they had a reputation for being alive, and yet Jesus says that they were basically dead. Hello. Had a reputation for being alive. There are people driving by this church today. We've got missionaries all around the world, 118 plus strong, and that's great. And I'd love to see us support more and more and more and more and more. And people think sometimes I get crazy about supporting missionaries, and I am, because Jesus himself was the greatest missionary. And so I just think that we ought to be involved in his work. And verse 4 reveals that some of the believers, look at verse 4, it actually reveals that some of the believers were actually walking with the Lord while many others had ceased to actually function properly. And if we're not careful, church, what happens is a few, a small little uh, uh, group uh, of people will walk with the Lord while the majority doesn't. I got news for you. No good. It's no good. We all must be walking with the Lord day in and day out. If you look at verse 3 and 6, we can see that this church in verse 3 and 6 had essentially stopped. Stopped feeding on the Word of God. And I can tell you, without God's Word, there'll be no growth. There'll be no growth today or tomorrow. And so what we see in verse 3 and even 6, where, where Jesus says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit hath to say to the churches. What Jesus is saying, He begins to admonish them. He says, hey, listen. 
You guys need to listen to the Word of God. You need to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you today. And that's the same this morning. Oh, they had stopped growing. And I think about this idea in verse number 1. It said they had this, this kind of this reputation that they were alive. And Jesus says, but thou art dead. Folks, I got news for you. You and I can fool one another. We can fool one another, right? But we're not fooling God. We can, we, can fool, we can fool the Presbyterian church down the street. We can fool Monterey Church. We can fool these other churches into thinking something really big is going on. And yet if we're not careful, if we're not staying close, if we're not drawing our strength as God, you talked about that two-edged uh, sword, the Word of God. If we're not drawing our strength and our protection from God, oh, we're not going to fool God. And so I want to encourage you, healthy churches grow. Listen, the shame of all this is that God's purpose for every believer is that we grow. It's not an option. A lot of people say, well, that's for the pastor. That's for the missionary in Taiwan. That's for the missionary in New Zealand. There to grow. No, it's not an option for you and I. God's desire is that each and every one of us grow. And his word actually teaches us and instructs us that every believer should be growing. But how does this happen? How does this happen? How does this idea of growth, and there's so many messages in so many directions, this idea of growth that we could take. And, and so I just want to suggest this to you. And I was talking to John Tate. We, we drove down together to kids camp and we came back and I was telling him, my suggestion is, how does this happen? Growth begins to happen when you and I stop focusing on growth. You say, what? Does that, that, that doesn't make sense. Growth, I'm going to give you the rest of it. Growth begins to happen when we stop focusing on growth. You see, there are a lot of church, a lot of websites, a lot of apps, a lot of magazine articles, a lot of books that are being published about how to grow your church. I got news for you. You want to grow the church? Stop focusing on growth and start focusing on Jesus. Oh, that was, was that revelatory? Was that revelatory? I mean, hey, can we get some, can we get some new, new fangled uh, special machine that's going to help us grow? No, no. All we need to do is stop focusing on our own selves, stop focusing on what we think, and start thinking and focusing on what he thinks. Colossians actually, the Apostle Paul told the church at Colossae, he said, hey, set your affection on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Listen, we have to start focusing on Jesus if we want to grow. It doesn't matter whether you and I are talking spiritually. It doesn't matter whether we're talking relationally. Or if you get into one of these church growth guru sessions and we're talking about growing numerically. The way that we grow numerically is that you and I start focusing on Jesus and we actually go out and we permeate. We go out and we permeate in a good way, not a bad way. We go out and we permeate the love and the truth of Jesus Christ to our community. We go to our, we go to our high schools, we go to our middle schools and we tell our friends that we love Jesus. And they look at us and they say, you're crazy, Trevor. You love Jesus? And you say, yeah, I love Jesus. And I'm gonna stand with Jesus. I'm gonna live for Jesus. And then they start saying, hey, something's different about Trevor. Not in a bad way, but in a good way. And so then the next thing you know, you got students coming from the high school with Trevor because they see Jesus living through Trevor. Same thing, we go into our workplaces, in our businesses, and we start living a life that is focused foremost on Christ. And then people are drawn to Christ. Listen, I don't make anything grow. God does the growing. 
And this is exactly, Travis read the passage from Acts chapter 2. This is exactly what the early church knew. And this is what they were doing. They were committed and they were focused to Christ alone. Yes, their present and their future hope was built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And because they were consumed with Christ, turn back with me to Acts chapter 2. Because they were consumed with Christ, they grew not only individually, I would suggest to you, although you don't see it, it's there. They grew individually and they grew corporately in that place. Notice with me some things that the early church was devoted to. If you're a note taker and you want to take part, here's some things that they were devoted to. Number one, the early church was devoted to learning and living out truth. They were devoted to learning and not only learning it, but they were devoted to living it out. It's one thing to learn. Listen, knowledge is knowing, wisdom is doing. I say that all the time. Knowledge is knowing. I can know something, but wisdom takes place when I start actually applying and doing what I know. And so this is what the early church did. Look at verse 42. Notice the phrase there in verse 42 of chapter 2. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The church grew because they persevered and they adhered to the apostles' teaching. But we have to ask ourselves, you see the word doctrine, and you say, what is this talking about? What were they teaching? They were teaching the word of God. And this is what the early church did. They not only heard the teaching, but they continued it and they said, we want more. Has anybody ever been to a buffet? Some of you are thinking, hey, as soon as you be quiet, I'm going to go to a buffet today. You shouldn't be laughing right now, but anyway. All right. We go to a buffet, right? We go down the buffet line and we're like, hmm. We're trying, I'll tell you, I have a strategy if I go to a buffet line. I'm, I, I, I want to take a little bit of everything that I want because if you heap a big pile on of something, then there's no second trip back to the buffet, right? And so you're thinking, and by the way, you go back for seconds because you think you're getting your money's worth, even though really you may have a problem with gluttony. We'll talk about that later, right? That's a whole nother message. But, but we go through the line, right? And, and I'm like, I'm thinking of the Mandarin buffet in Warrington right now in my mind. I love that place. But the problem is when I come off the line, when I come off the line, yeah, that's Americanized uh, Asian food. I know what you guys are laughing about. That's, that's fake food. That, that's no good. And, and when I come off the line, though, I turn, uh-oh, over on the other side is the dessert area. I'm already thinking about dessert. The early church, they were consumed. They wanted more and more and more. Notice what verse 42 says. It says, they continued steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine. Listen, they wanted to hear the word of God. And folks, I'm just going to be as plain as I can and as loving as I can. One of the evidences, one of the evidences of our faith, of our personal conversion, one of the evidences of my relationship with Jesus Christ is the fact that I'm going to have a desire to hear what he has to say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1 tells us, right? And so we, we have to understand there are some proofs out there, as they say, in the pudding. Are we living a life that is bringing honor and glory to God? Listen, a person's conversion and relationship is going to be evidenced by this. In fact, in 1 Peter 2.2, the Apostle Peter, he's writing to a dispersed group of Jewish people over five different Roman provinces at this time. 
And in chapter 2, verse number 2, he writes these words. He says, as newborn babes desire the sincere, that word sincere means the pure and uncontaminated. This is what he says. He says, as newborn babes desire the pure, see the word sincere, the pure or uncontaminated milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Folks, I don't need to give a science lesson this morning, but newborn babies are consumed with a few things. They're consumed with crying, sleeping, eating, and I'll let you fill in the blank of the other thing that they're consumed with. Newborn babies have got to get their nourishment. I, it's amazing to me. I look down here and I look at Casey. When Casey was born, what an amazing day in our lives. We thought that we were, I know, I'm not going to embarrass you, really, I'm not. What an amazing day in our lives. We thought, we thought that we would have no more children. And, and most of you know the rest of the story. We're six and a half going on seven years. And here comes Casey. And so when Casey is born, Krista's back in surgery. And they, they allow me. Can you imagine this? They allow me to go with him. And they put him under one of these, uh, what are these, what are the, the, the little like, uh, you find them, the french fry lamps. Uh, you know? It, they put, him, they, they put him under one of these lamps to keep him warm. But what was amazing to me was we're talking about, we're talking about less than 30 minutes out of his mother's womb. And this kid over here has got his hands and he is literally doing this and I'll mimic it for you. <laughs> he doesn't even have teeth. He's going to town. I'm like, brother, I can't help you. I'm like looking at him, I can't help you. This kid was hungry 30 minutes in. I'm like, did you not get enough sustenance for nine months in your mother's belly? You got to come out. This kid is hungry. Why? Because he needed nourishment. Put up 1 Peter 2.2 again, please. Paul says, as newborn babes. Notice the word desire there. He's talking about an intense craving that must be in the heart of believers. And he's telling them that they must desire through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is that you and I, our spiritual health, our growth depends. It depends on hearing God's voice through the Word of God. Oh, healthy churches grow. A newborn baby with no appetite. I don't have to tell you, if a newborn baby comes out and he's not gnawing and he's not ready and she's not hungry, there's either something wrong or the baby is sick. Uh-oh. Spiritually speaking, folks, if we're not craving, if we're not desiring the sincere milk of the word whereby we may grow, you can make the application. There's something wrong or else... We're sick. In his article on how to grow spiritually, pastor and teacher Brian Anderson writes these words. He says, if we have no appetite for the word of God, either we are very sick or we are dead. <laughs> you remember what Jesus said to the church at Sardis? He said, you got a reputation for being alive, but thou art dead. He goes on and he says this. He says, how keen, and here in this word, that word keen means intense. He says, how intense is your appetite? This is a reflection of your spiritual health. If you have little or no appetite for God's word, either you have not been born again or you 
are very sick, spiritually speaking. I was reading that passage earlier this week and just a few verses before, if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 23, we're told that the Word of God is the incorruptible Word that, that changes our lives, it brings about new life. And then a couple of verses later in verse number 25, the Bible tells us, it reminds us that it is, it's God's Word that it, it actually endures forever. And so the point there is that God's Word will never fail, it never will not do what it sets out to do. The early church understood that the same word of God that brought about new life was also vital for their everyday growth and use. Oh, the same is true for us as believers. We cannot expect the Lord to grow us individually or corporately as a church if we're not feasting upon and digesting the word of God. Notice what David said about God's word. In Psalm chapter 19, Beginning in verse number 7, notice what David says. He says, the law of the Lord, notice what he says about God's word. He says, is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord, this is all referencing God's word. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes, the fear of the Lord, and by the way, when you study it, it's still referencing not only just the reverence or the fear of the Lord, it's referencing God's Word. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Notice what he says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, now notice verse number 11 because it's really important. He says, moreover, by them, speaking of God's word, his, his judgments, his law, and on and on. He says, thy servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Oh, do we want to grow? We have to be in God's word. Listen, if you and I only eat uh, physical food every once in a while, we're going to have a problem with our growth. In fact... You know, I have learned this because I've had to kind of readjust my eating habits. And Crystal will tell you, I've gone through periods of time where my eating habits are not right. And what happens, and I've noticed this, and maybe you've noticed this too, when you try to starve yourself, your belly seems to get distended, doesn't it? It's like, hold on, I'm not eating, and yet my belly seems bigger. Do you know if we don't eat but every once in a while, we could be considered malnourished physically. And yet if we only eat, if we only digest God's word every once in a while, I believe the same. We're malnourished. We're malnourished spiritually. Listen, spiritually, Peter says that you and I must be feasting regularly upon the Word of God. At the end of Job, chapter 23, speaking of God's Word, Job says this. He says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. In Jeremiah 15, 16, the weeping prophet, he says this. He says, thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was also unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord of host. Paul, in writing to the saints at Ephesus, he reminds us in Ephesians 4, verse 11 and following, he's talking about, and, and, and the Lord gave some uh, apostles and prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers and on and on. And he goes down and he talks uh, in verse 12 that he's done this for the perfecting of the saints. And if you read on and 
verse number 13 and 14. Notice what verse 14 says. It says, He did all this that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But notice what he tells these believers at Ephesus. He says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things which is the head, even Christ. What truth, and I just wrote myself a little note, what truth are you and I to be communicating with one another? He says, but speaking the truth in love, what truth? The truth according to me? The truth according to you? No, the truth that we're to communicate in love one to another is the truth of God's word. We're to share that with one another. God knows that his word and the Holy Spirit of God working together is what brings about change, not only from darkness to light, but also about continual growth. You know, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right? And so we have to be in God's word. It's just part of this identity in Christ. We're going to be growing. The early church was continually learning and living out the truth of God's word. And because they did so, look back at verse 47 in Acts chapter 2. Notice what happens. Because they're living, they're continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine... Verse 47, notice this, this phrase here. It says, they were praising God, but notice what it says right after this. It says, and having favor with, with just those in the church. What does it say? It says all men. You got a problem with your neighbor? You got a problem with your coworker? You got something going on that's bigger than you, bigger than life itself? Listen, you need to be living according to the word of God. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about encouragement. And I shared with you Psalm 16, verse number 7. That verse says this, When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. How, how are my ways going to please the Lord? By learning and living out his truth. I want to please the Lord? We, I, I got to get in his word. I got to learn his word. I got to live it out. Listen, Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. By the way, I think it's important to mention that if you and I are going to learn and live out the truth of God's word, right, not only are we going to be growing, but we're going to be evangelistic. Right? We're going to be evangelistic. If, if we're learning God's word, right, and we're thankful for God's word because it took us from darkness to light, why wouldn't we want to share that with others? Why wouldn't we want to communicate that with others? In fact, keep, show back verse 47. Because not only did they have favor with all the people, but notice the last part of the verse. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Here's what I know from that. Somebody was sharing the word of God. Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Somebody had to be telling somebody about Jesus. If the Lord's adding, well, no, he just did it all by himself. Yes, he could. He could do anything by himself, right? But he desires to use you and I. That's why God's word says that. And so for me, when I look at that, the fact that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, listen, somebody was busy telling people about Jesus. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 teaches us that some plant, some water, but let us all be reminded. You may be on the planting side. You may be on the watering side. But God help us never to forget who gives the increase. 
And his name is Jesus. Oh, yes, the early church grew because they were learning and living out truth. And i got to rip through these last couple. The early church was also devoted to developing real relationships. They were devoted to developing real relationships. In verse number 42, they continued in the apostles' doctrine, but it also says they continued in fellowship. In verse 44 and 46, the, that passage speaks of unity that was taking place in the early church. They were caring for one another. In verse 45, the passage talks about that they were concerned about one another. They sold everything. They, 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 they met the needs of one another as they had need. Verse 46 reveals that their relationships went beyond simply gathering for worship. They went house to house and ate their meat with gladness. Listen, these, this church was not only worshiping together, they were serving together, they were fellowshipping together. And guess what? God grew them. God grew this church. He was pleased with what was taking place. And I'm not saying, because whenever you're in a room or in a church and you got, you know, on average 400, 425 people hanging out together, you're not going to agree with every thought. You're not going to agree with every word. You're not even going to agree with every action that somebody takes. But we're bonded together through Jesus Christ. And he has us here for a purpose. Listen, the church not only loved God, the early church, they not only loved God and they not only loved his word, but this church loved one another. They reached out with that same love to others who needed to know Jesus Christ. Peter had obviously communicated that message that Jesus shared with his disciples in John chapter 13. You remember? John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Uh, John chapter 14, he's talking about, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He tells them, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. They don't understand. He tells them, I'm going to leave a comforter with you. And then we get to John chapter 15. He's talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches, and, and on and on. We get to John chapter 16. He says, hey, a little reminder for you there in verse number 2. The world will kill you and think they're doing the world a favor. They hated me before they hate you, and they will kill you and think they're doing the world a favor. But then in verse number 33, he says, hey, but... But don't be, don't be sad. Get, turn that frown upside down because I've overcome the world, is what he said. But back in John chapter 13, after he washed their feet and did all these things, he shared something with the disciples. And I'm guessing that Peter actually shared it with the early church because it's evidenced by their development of real relationships. And that's what he said in verse 34 and 35. He said, a new commandment I give unto you. You, know, you, you remember, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And he said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Hold on. They were praising God and they had favor with how many men? All the people. It says all the people in verse 47. He says, if you love one another, they're going to know you're my disciples. Dr. Gary Milley, in his 2016 article, entitled The Four Dimensions of Church Growth, stated this. He said, the church is not a collection of individuals like a marbles in a box. He said, in the body of Christ, we are joined together and receive life and even pain from each other. What affects one affects all. He went on to say this. He says, if my leg gets broken, my body will not get to the office. But it would be ridiculous if my good leg were to blame my broken leg or decide that it too ought to get broken. No, each part of the body helps the broken leg heal. 
while the movement of the whole body is hindered by the hurting part. Blaming does not promote healing. The healthy church, the growing church, does not amputate a broken leg. It seeks to heal it. Oh, we have to be careful as we develop real relationships. Listen, in a body of believers this size, oh, we have to be careful, little tongue, what we say, because truly the Father is up above. He's looking down in love. Oh, we got to be careful little tongue what we say. We got to be careful little thumb what we text. We got to be careful about talking about somebody while their back's turned. We got to be careful about slandering someone when they have no idea you're talking about them. You say, is this going on? I have no idea, but it's good, good warning. We have to, we have to be uh, on our toes. We have to understand what the development of real relationships looks like. In Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, the Bible says, Paul writing to that church at Galatia says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, there's the key, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Writing in Romans chapter 15, the Apostle Paul writing to the Roman Christians about their duties and dangers, he says this, he says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye are all so are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Hebrews 10, 24 tells us that we're not only to admonish one another, we're to consider one another. Verse 25 tells us to assemble together, to exhort one another. James tells us that we ought to pray for one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says that we ought to comfort ourselves together. He also says that we ought to edify one another. That's uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11. In Philippians 1.27, the Apostle Paul tells the church at Philippi that we're to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Over and over and over in Scripture, comfort one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, provoke one another unto love and to good works. What, are, what do you hear? I hear relationship. I hear relationship all over the place. It, when we get saved, we're not, we're not to live an isolated life. We're to gather with a local assembly of believers. The Christian life is all about relationships. First and foremost, it's about a relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's also about our relationship with one another. And finally, you know what? It's also about our relationship with those who still need Jesus. Listen, we need to go out and share the love of Christ with people who are hurting and in need. Listen, the early church grew because they, they were learning and living out God's truth, but they also grew because they were developing real relationships, and they were also devoted to continual worship. In verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, but notice it also says in breaking in bread. That doesn't mean that they went down to Ruby Tuesday. That was, that was the observance of the Lord's Supper. Do you know one of the least attended services at Battlefield Baptist Church? Those that come know it's when we gather to observe the Lord's Supper. And that's not just Battlefield, that's everywhere. I, I, I don't understand why we wouldn't want to come and remember and rejoice at what Christ had done. And yet whenever we say we're going to observe the Lord's Supper on Sunday evenings, literally right here. And sometimes not really full right here. We ought to take time. This, is, this was a key to their success. They grew because they were worshiping continually. They not only continued steadfastly in the teaching, they not only were fellowshipping with one another, but they were continuing and breaking bread the Lord's Supper. 
They were there at the temple. And verse 46 reminds us that the early church continued daily with one accord in the temple. Listen, the church was growing because they worship, the worship of Jesus Christ was a priority in their lives. When they gathered, they did so to celebrate the person and the finished work of Jesus. Oh, my dear friends, nothing has changed. It's like that song, Oh, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. We're here, we're saved, and we are a family of believers. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done. Everything we have, everything we are, everything that we hope to be, we owe to Jesus, and He is worthy of our worship. Please, I beg of you, not for me, but for His sake. Oh, make sure that worship is a priority, not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day that you get up and you worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, I believe that the early church, really, honestly, I believe that the early church also grew because they were devoted to passionate prayer and praise. They not only lifted up their prayer requests to God, but they lifted up their praise to God. In verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking bread and in prayers. The church possessed an active prayer life. Two weeks ago, before I left for Colby's wedding, we had a prayer service. And I wish I could say this room was full of people who wanted to pray for our country. This room was full of people who wanted to pray for our church and to pray for one another. Those that are in our church that are sick, those that are hurting, pray for our missionary partners all around the world. Oh, listen, we have to make prayer a priority if we're going to be growing. Listen, they, they continued steadfastly, not only in prayer, but the, verse 42. Guys, put verse 42 back up because they continued steadfastly in that whole list. It wasn't just in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. They continued steadfastly in breaking bread. And they continued steadfastly in prayer. Prayer was more than a ritual. It was more than something that the pastor stood up and said, Hey, I think that you ought to do this. I mean, Jesus was the one who taught us that men ought, off, that ought always to pray in Luke chapter 18. Listen, 1 Thessalonians 5, we know that we're to pray without ceasing. Colossians 4, 2 says that we're to continue in prayer and watch in the same, but when we do it, we're to watch in the same with thanksgiving. Oh, our prayer life. By the way, you say, what's so important about prayer? It's an indicator of your reliance and trust on God. No prayer life? I'm going to suggest there's not very much trust. If I'm, not, if I'm not lifting my petitions and my prayers my, and my praise, which I'll say here in just a second, if I'm not lifting them upward toward heaven, you know what I'm saying to God? I don't need you. I got this one all figured out. I went to fill-in-the-blank university. I went to military. I spent 24 years in the military. I did this and I did that. I own my own business. I really don't need you, Lord, today. I'm going to relieve you of your duty and I'll just take care of these things. When we don't pray, what we're saying is that we don't need you, Lord. And yet that's not the truth. We all know that we need his, 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 his wisdom in our life, his strength in our life, his goodness in our life. Listen, our prayer life is a huge indication of where we are spiritually. Not just as a church, but individually. Verse 47 also says that they were not only passionate about their prayer 
they were passionate about their praise. They were praising God. And I just said this, I wrote this down. If we're going to be growing spiritually, we're going to be praising our Lord loudly. If we're going to grow spiritually, then we're going to be praising our Lord loudly. And you can put hashtag Pastor Greg on that one. When was the last time? Let me just ask this. When was the last time you just got down on your knees not to ask for something, but to praise God for everything? To praise Him for your salvation, to praise Him for your home, to praise Him for your wife, to praise Him for your husband, to praise Him for your kids, your grandkids, to praise Him for the meat that He put on the table, to praise Him for the cover He's got over your head at night, to praise Him for that soft bed that you lay in or that mat that you lie on, to praise Him for the opportunity to get rest, to praise Him for the food that we eat, and on and on. I mean, we could just go all day. But if we're not praising Him, oh, there's something wrong with our relationship. Maybe you have this reputation that you're alive, but if we're not involved in constant and continual prayer and praise, I would suggest that the Lord Jesus Christ is crying out, you may think you're alive, but you're as good as dead because you're not relying on me. The psalmist has said over and over, repeatedly in Psalm 107, he said, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. I love this verse, right? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. You know why I love this verse? Because of one word. Can you figure it out? It's the word would. It's the word would. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Not oh, that men could. We can. The reality is many times we don't. Oh, we'll not be growing if we're not praising God. In Psalm 150, the Bible says, Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Folks, I've spent a lot of time in my life in a physician's office. I've had my dealings with physical, what do we call this? <laughs> bumps in the road? <laughs> physical bumps in the road. And I know one thing, when I enter into a doctor's office, he or she, or they're looking for signs of life. Doesn't matter whether they're looking for cancer. They're looking to see if the cancer is showing signs of life. They're looking to see if the tumor is growing. They're looking to see what your heart looks like. They're looking to see how much blood you're pumping. They're looking to see what your cholesterol levels are. They're looking to see what your A1C counts are. They're looking to see the signs of life. Biblically speaking, a church that's alive and growing is going to be able to be told by some things as well. We're going to be able to be seen by whether or not we focus on Jesus. First and foremost, if we did nothing else, are we focused on Jesus? Are we learning and living out the truth of His Word? Which, by the way, causes us, as I said, to become more evangelistic. Are we developing real, genuine relationships with one another? When one of us hurts, are we all hurting? When one of us celebrates and rejoices, are we celebrating and rejoicing with one another? Are we actually living in unity as a body of believers as we go away from this place? Are we committed to worship? Are we making worship a priority in our lives? Or is it just something we do when it's convenient? And then finally, are we passionate with our prayers and our praises. I want to ask, where are you? Where are you today? Not where are you in life, you know, it's like, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. Are you closer to 
the Lord today than you were yesterday? Or are you further away? Are you closer to the Lord today on July 15th, 2018 than you were on July 15th, 2017? Or are you about the same? Or would you be honest with yourself and say, you know what, I'm a little further away. Listen, growth is so incredibly important. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Listen, there may be some here that have yet to begin their walk with the Lord. You, you, you may need to actually uh, understand that Jesus Christ loved you so much that he went to that old rugged cross. And he put himself up on that cross for you and for me in the sin of the world. 1 John 1, 2 talks about the cosmos. And so I don't know where you're at in that. But listen, to walk with him and to grow in him, you first must know him. Listen, the Bible talks about today is the day of salvation. And so maybe you're sitting here, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. I would beg you, I would encourage you, right where you are, whether you do it right there in your seat or you burn up the carpet and come forward, that you would place your faith and your trust and your confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and some of you would say, like many of those that were at the church of Sardis, Maybe you're, maybe you're like the church at Sardis. Maybe you need to remember what you have received and heard by way of the gospel. Maybe it's a wake-up call. Maybe, it's, maybe, maybe, maybe the Lord's trying to get your attention and say, Hey, do you remember me? Do you remember me? Don't be like the church at Ephesus. If you read in Revelation 2, talked about the church at Ephesus. You know what their problem was? They left their first love. They left their first love. He says, Do you remember me? Maybe you need to be willing to do with, deal with that. Maybe you need to hold fast to the things that you know are biblically true. Maybe the world is coming in and trying to attack you and trying to pull, your, pull, your, pull you away from, from the things of God. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to do what Jesus said there in Revelation chapter 3, not only need to remember and hold fast, but maybe you need to repent. Maybe, maybe it's time that you just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me, God, would you work in me? Create a clean heart in me? Would you restore the joy of my salvation? I don't know what your need is today, but I can tell you this, that you or I individually and you and I corporately as a body of believers will not grow unless we are focused on the right thing. And his name is Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.